Well, good morning, Rio Vista. If you are watching us online right now, this probably looks pretty normal to you. Uh, if you are actually here live, uh, this is super abnormal for you. And the reason I say that is because I'm not here. And the reason that I'm not here is because we are committed to your safety as a family uh, and also in our school and our school family. So the bottom line is I was exposed to somebody this week who has COVID. I feel great. I told somebody I feel like I could go do a decathlon right now. Hopefully that doesn't change. That would be awesome. I went and got a test. I don't have the results of the test yet. And then there's some question as to whether I got the test too quickly. Did I need to let it incubate a bit further? And so in light of the fact um, that I'm the senior leader of this organization, we hold to a high standard for your safety, I thought, all right, I will record the message because I won't know whether or not I actually have this until, let's say, Monday or Tuesday, and, uh, and I will stay home. So I am missing you if you are here. This is the highlight of my week, having the opportunity to hang out with you guys. And so I'm bummed that I can't do this, but I'm really grateful that through technology I can do it. All right, before we jump into the message this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to join the journey of Lent. Please, if you missed our Ash Wednesday service, please go watch that. You can find it through the app. You can find it online through our website. I thought it was really an amazing service, mostly done by other people. That's why I can brag on it a little bit. I thought Sam's explanation of Lent, I thought his explanation of the imposition of the ashes, all of these things were brilliant in a way that I I didn't see coming. Like I knew it was going to be brilliant because it was going to be Sam, but I'm very well familiar with all of these things. And I was just sitting there taking in all of this new information and thinking, good grief, that's amazing. So go take that in. Sing the songs, let them speak to you and begin your Lenten journey if you haven't done that already. We'd love for you to enter into this season of repentance, which doesn't sound like fun, but what does repentance lead to? The Christian faith tells us that it leads to life, and we are moving toward light and life as we journey through the Lent season toward Easter. There's all kinds of information on the website, uh, on the app, on how to fast, how to deprive yourself of something that you might pursue Jesus more authentically and more passionately in this season of time. And so we want to take the opportunity to say, don't miss this. This is for your spiritual good, and we'd love to have you on the journey with us. All right? Okay, well, we'll continue our worship this morning by looking into God's Word. And as we can do this, we continue our study of the book of 1 Kings. We come to 1 Kings 8, and with it, to the same topic that we've looked at for the last two weeks. So for the last three weeks now, if you include this Sunday, we have been talking about an ancient temple built by an ancient king named Solomon, who was the ancient king of an ancient kingdom of Israel, and who built this temple 3,000 years ago in the ancient city of Jerusalem. And guess what? It was destroyed in 586 B.C. And uh, so, yeah. And that is a terrible way to start a message. Why? Because if you're online, it's just so easy for you to change the channel. If you're here, I mean, it's a little less easy for you to get up and and walk out. You know, you kind of have to do the walk of shame and pretend like you're going to the bathroom. You know, you're probably thinking, well, maybe I could check my emails and redeem the time that way. Like, there's just nothing about what I just said that sounds compelling. Unless you've been with us. If you haven't been with us, you assume that an ancient temple built by an ancient king of an ancient kingdom in an ancient city that was destroyed 2,500 years ago has nothing whatsoever to do with your life. And yet, if you've been with us the last two weeks leading into this one, you know that it has everything to do with your life because that temple and absolutely everything in it is a picture of Jesus. And he has everything to do with me. He has everything to do with you. He has everything to do with everyone in our lives and with everyone everywhere. There is no more relevant topic in the entire universe than him. 
A temple is all about him. We've walked through it. We've walked up to the altar of sacrifice, and we've just paused and said, hey, you know what? I need a sacrifice. Why do I need a sacrifice? Because I've done things that I can't undo, that I can't now pay for by doing good things. Why? Because good things are already required of me. It's like your employees. They show up for work on time. You don't throw a party. You're like, okay, no, 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 that's expected. It's expected by God that I'm going to do good things and not do bad things. It's, it's the bad things that, well, those are the unexpected things. And they're things I can't account for, that I can't pay for, that I can't undo. I need to sacrifice a perfect one who stands in my place and he lays down his life for me to cover over all of that. His name is Jesus, guys. He is my sacrifice. You move past it to the laver. Full of water. These people would clean themselves outwardly, but it was a picture of what was happening inwardly in them. That's the idea. And who is my cleansing in yours? It's Christ. You move up into the temple and you've got the lampstand which gives light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the Bible, we have the mind of Jesus, we are told. He is the light. He's the one who gives us wisdom by which to live. Over on the other side, you have the table of showbread, 12 loaves of bread representing the whole of the people of God in that moment. He's saying, listen, I, Jesus, am the bread of life, and I, Jesus, am alone able to satisfy the appetites of the whole of the people of God in this moment and in every other. We move forward up to the altar of incense, and we saw how the smoke goes up to the Lord. It it pictures the prayers of God's people ascending up to the high mountain hill of the Lord. Jesus is our high priest. Guys, we covered this. He is the one who ever lives to intercede for us. Christ advocates for me and he advocates for you. That is an amazing reality. We moved from there into the most holy place, the holy of holies, the place of the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God himself was said to dwell between the golden cherubim. And what is it exactly that Jesus Christ has come to do? He has come to take people who are far, far, far away from God and to bring them not just into his presence, to bring them into his family, to take his law and to write them, as Will talked about last week, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of our hearts, a law that we want to obey out of love for him. Look, when you love somebody, here's what you want to do, whether you like to do it in any other circumstance or not. You want to please them. You want to do what's pleasing to them. Love is our motivation. It is the love of God that motivates us to obey the law that he writes upon our hearts. And so today, as we move into the last part of 1 Kings chapter 8, we come to the prayer that Solomon prays at the opening dedication ceremony of this temple. It's all prepared. It's all done. This is the grand celebration. Everybody turns out. Solomon prays. And if you've done your personal worship, then you know this about his prayer. He looks forward in his prayer beyond that day and that generation of Israelites, and he foresees a day that is coming in which their descendants are going to so rebel against God, they're going to so reject God, they're going to so hate God, they're going to so violate all of his laws, they're going to so desecrate the land and the temple that he has made in their midst, that he's going to allow their enemies to march in, take them captive, bring them to a faraway country, where they will be enslaved. And yet here's what Solomon says, and I'm just going to summarize. He says, yeah, but Lord, here's what I know about you. I know that if those people in that faraway country turn from their sin in that country and they turn toward this temple, which is a picture of Jesus, in real repentance, here Lent in that, then here's what you're going to do. 
you're going to receive them back with open arms. Like they're going to come back and you're going to go, come here, come here, come here. And they will know your embrace. It's magnificent. Feel the embrace. It's not just what Solomon says. That's what Jesus says. I mean, what is the message of Jesus? It's no matter who you are. It's no matter what you've done. It's no matter how far away that you have traveled from God. When you turn from your sin and you turn toward him in your heart, man, the Lord says, bring it in. Come on now, we're going to bring it in for a hug. He invites you into his arms. He invites you into his embrace. And nowhere does Jesus say that more famously than in Luke chapter 15. If you know the story of Luke chapter 15, we find the story of a father who is so obviously a picture of God. You just know it as you read the story. You can see, okay, yeah, 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 that's God. And he has two sons who are so obviously pictures of all of us at various moments in our life. We might not be both at the same time, but we're both at different times. And there's no question about that. And as the story goes, the younger, more rebellious son comes to his dad one day, and he just comes completely clean. Like, he's, he doesn't have any subtlety in him. He just kind of gets directly to the point, And he just says, Dad, I'm going to be really honest with you about how I feel about you. And I want you to feel this from the perspective of Dad. Let it get in here for a minute. He says, look, here's the deal. I'm not interested in serving you. I'm not interested in working for you. I'm not interested in hanging out with you. I don't want to go fishing with you. I don't want to live with you. I'm not interested in relationship with you. I'm not interested in you. But I'm hugely interested in what you have. And here's the problem that I, your son, has at this point. I have to wait for you to die to get from you what I'm actually interested in. So why don't we just cut to the chase? Like, I mean, let's just, you know, scrap all the insincerity. Why do you want to have a son in your house who, frankly, doesn't want you alive? Now, day after day, we've got to pass each other in the hallway. And now that I've been honest with you, you understand that you're worth more to me dead than you are alive. And frankly, that's what I'd like to see happen. So why don't we just cut through all of that and you let's just pretend you died right now and you just give me what will be mine on that day Today, instead, and the father with a devastated heart, that's just destroying, sizes it up and says, all right, let's do that. And he gives his son what he would have gotten had the father died. And like three minutes later, the son's out the door on the way to the far country where his heart had left probably three years earlier. It's the way that it works in life. I don't know that you know that, but like think about that with me for a minute. Your body never goes anywhere. Your heart didn't proceed. The heart leaves. The body follows. That's why it matters where you go in your heart. He's been living in the far country for, I don't know, three years. He's finally gotten everything that he needs in order to go. He gets it. He's packed up. He's gone already. He's out the door. He goes to the far country. The party is on in the far country. You know the story. It's all fun and games until all the money runs out, and at which point it is utter devastation for him. And he is completely disillusioned. He's looking back through the brochure to the far country that got him excited about leaving in the first place, and he's thinking, what in the world? Nobody said anything about this. He's fishing back through the Internet and all the video testimonials about the far country. 
documentary that he watched that got him so excited that his heart left and that he went and had this terrible conversation with his dad and gained what he needed in order to go. And none of them mentioned anything about this. He went looking for light. He found darkness. He went looking for freedom. He's now enslaved. He went looking for life. It's just death all around him, death of, of everything that it seemed to matter. He's a young Jewish man who sells himself out to a Gentile pig owner. If you don't understand those two cultures, you don't understand how radical that is. And he begins to feed the pigs. It's like his job. It says that he actually longed to eat what the pigs ate. What is that? And no one would give it to him. So one day he wakes up face down in a pigsty, not just physically, like he has an aha moment. Like he wakes up and goes, wait a minute, hang on a second, I've got an option. So my option is, I can go home. I mean, the reality is I do have a dad, and my dad has, you know, a a big household. And and I mean, even if he just takes me back, not as his son, I mean, that's a pretty grandiose thought on my part. I, I certainly don't deserve that. If he just takes me back as one of his servants, all right, well, I'm a lot better off than I am now. And so he gets up, he turns his back on the far country, starts walking home. And what is the number one thing on his mind, like question number one, the thing that he's wrestling with all the way back home, the thing that he wants to know the answer to, the thing that he's wondering about, the big suspense thing is, how am I going to be received when I get there because I know how I deserve to be received? So he said, i got to get ready for that. Just like I prepared for speech number one, I got to get ready for speech number two, and it had better be real. And so he gets out a three-by-five card and his pen, you know, and and he starts wordsmithing it. He's like, this has got to be genuine. This has got to be real. This has got to be repentance. Like, this is... This has to be sincere. Dad's a wise man. He needs to hear this. He's going to see through it if it isn't what it's supposed to be. And so here's the deal. It goes something like this, my spiel. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Good start. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Very true. So if you'll just receive me back as one of your servants, I, um, I'll do anything. Like, I mean, I'll do the dishes. I'll clean the gutters. I'll pick the weeds. I'll wash the cars. I I don't know. I I mean, I'll give foot massages. Like, I mean, anything you want me to do at this point, I will do that. He's ready. (laughs) He doesn't know how it's going to go, but, but he's practicing all the way home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's good. No longer worthy to be called your son. That, that's, that's true. That's, that's right on. If you'll take me back as a... You get the idea? So here he comes. The camera angle then shifts to the dad. Where's the dad? It's telling. Dad's on the roof of the house. You're like, why is dad on the roof of the house? Is he having trouble with mom? Like, that's bizarre. Did he lose his marbles when his son left? Is that why he's on the roof of the house? No, no, no. Again, long time ago, and in that culture, the roofs of the houses were like patios. They built stairs up the side. They'd go up on the house and enjoy the view, and they would typically build the house in a big estate like what we're talking about here on the highest part of the land, and so the house is on the highest part of the land, and the roof of the house is the highest part of the house on the highest part of the land, which gives him the best vantage point to see a long way around him, but he's only focused in one direction. 
in the far country. He watched his son go off. And you get the very clear impression that day after day, he's waited to see his son come home. So he's up on the roof and he's looking down the street. All the servants are like, oh my goodness, he's up there again today. Is he ever going to relent? Answer, no. And he sees somebody on the far horizon. Usually people are going to the far country, you see, but sometimes you see him coming back and and he sees somebody coming back, and it's like a little speck, you know, on the horizon, like it's way away. But it looks maybe familiar. And maybe it's the, the, the shape of the shoulders, the height, the weight. It looks a little skinny. Maybe it's the way this person holds their head or swings their arms or legs, you know. But, but it looks like it might be his son. And every parent knows they can pick their son or daughter out from a distance. You can do it. Like you can see them way before you can make out their distinct facial features. You know which one's your kid. You know how they move. You know their form. And he sees this person and he thinks, is this it? The heart starts to beat a little faster calls over one of the servants. He's like, listen, you've known my boy all his life, sort of like I mean, you've been around him almost as much as me. Like, all right, I'm just, just be honest with me, okay? Look down the road. Does that look like him? And the servant's like, what am I going to do? I mean, I don't want to crush you. You spend all day every day up here on the roof. Like, I don't want to say yes and then be wrong and then it gets your hopes up and then they're dashed and it's utterly crushing and you relive the whole devastation again. But look, here's the deal. Um, I understand why you're asking the question. It does, it does look like him. The person gets closer and closer and dad's heart beats faster and faster. And then he realizes, okay, you're close enough. That's my boy. What does he do? He does what no Middle Eastern man would do. He reaches down and he grabs his robes and he picks them up and he ties them off at his hip, you know, so he frees his legs so he can run, which is another thing that no Middle Eastern man would do. And he makes a beeline for the stairs, like he races across the room and he races down the stairs and he comes around the banister, he rips it halfway off the house, he tears his garment, he's thinking, and we can sew that later. He comes ripping around the house, his wife's out in the garden, she's planting tulips, he comes running through her tulips. She's like, no, what are you doing? You're killing my tulips. He's like, I don't care. She's like, you will later. He's like, not this time. Clears the picket fence by this much. Dad lands in the street, he catches his balance, he stops and he sees his boy, I don't know, 150 yards away. At this point, son who's seen all of this is frozen in the road because he's thinking, oh baby, how am I going to be received? Is he coming to kiss me or is he coming to kill me? Because I know what I deserve. And dad drops down in a three-point stance and comes out of the blocks, and he is running full blast at his son. And son learned something that actually my son learned a few years ago when we raced in the park, and that is that dad's faster than you think, okay? So dad's closing the gap, and the feet are flying, and the dust is billowing, you know, and the the heart is pounding, and the arms are pumping, and the, the air is burning in his lungs, and his sweat, and he's coming at the boy. And meanwhile, boy's going, I think he needs to hear the speech before he gets here. So he's trying to figure out what he did with it. Finally, he pulls it out. 
And he says, dad, I think there's something you need to hear before you get here. So slow down. He's like, listen, here's the deal. Um, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And stay, stay there. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Thought you might want to know that part. And and I'll just be your servant if you'll take me back and I'll even do a foot massage or whatever it is that you want to do at this point. I'm open to it. And he just braces for the impact. Why? Because here it comes. And what does dad do when he arrives? He just beats the tar out of the kid. Vindicates his good name in the community. He lets everyone know that justice has been done. The humiliation that that boy has brought on his family is over. It's not at all what he does. He takes that boy down in a hug. Bear hugs and rolling around in the dirt with him. He's showering this kid with his kisses and with his tears. He's shouting, shouts of joy that his son is home. He gets up and the son's like, Dad, I got the three-by-five card. Let me run through this. He's like, son, I heard it on the way. Put it away. Doesn't matter. Stand up. He takes him into the house and he puts on the feet of this boy who faithlessly stomped on his reputation, on his family, who shamed the whole community and fled from him in sin. New shoes. He comes to him with a beautiful new garment, fresh and clean, and he covers over all of the filth and the vestiges of the far country that the son has collected up in his journey, in his journey away from his father. He takes the hand that has squandered his wealth in ways that dad knows all about but wishes that he didn't, and on it he puts the ring of sonship. He kills the fattened calf. He calls every musician he knows. He says, guys, I'm paying you double right now at my house. He calls up all of his neighbors, sends an email to everybody on his contact list. There's a party at my house, 30 minutes, it's on. And everybody comes. It's remarkable. Why does the father do all of this? This is his boy. Because his boy is precious to him. It's pretty simple, really. Meanwhile, the camera shifts again. This time it shifts to the older brother, and where is he? Well, he's just finished a 14-hour day, man. He's coming in from the field. He's hot. He's sweaty. He's thinking about a shower. He's thinking about dinner. He's thinking about finishing up the documentary on World War II that he's been watching on Netflix because it's awesome and it's in HD and in color. Like he's got his night planned and all of a sudden like he's coming toward the house and he can hear the music. It's pouring out of the windows and people are shouting and clapping and cheering and woo, you know, like the party. As he's looking around, he's like, good grief. Driveways packed with cars, people parking up and down the street. Like what in the world is this? He calls the servant over. He's like, what's going on? This is like a Wednesday. I I didn't have this on my calendar. What is this? And the servant says, you're not going to believe it. This is the day that your dad has been waiting for. Like, this is it. Your brother, far away brother, is home. He came home and your dad put the shoes on those feet. He put the ring on that hand. He covered over all of that filth. He killed the fattened calf. He called up the band. He's got the neighbors like, we are celebrating the return of your brother. And what does the older brother do? He's like, yes, finally. It's a day I've been praying for. Like nothing's been right since the kid left. Every night we sit at dinner, empty chair. It's depressing. Nobody talks. Every holiday we're all together. It's like, oh, 
It's a dirge, you know, it's just, he's not there. I see my dad every morning, he looks beat, he's not sleeping, his eyes are red, he's weeping over the kid. Every day he spins up on the roof. I'm like, hey, can we go fishing? No, 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 I got the the roof thing going again today. And finally he's come. And what does the brother do? Well, he reaches down and he grabs his robes. He ties them off at his legs. He frees his legs to run. He goes racing across the yard. He goes flying up the front steps. He busts open the front door, knocks three people down. They're all calling their lawyer. Dad's like, I've got State Farm. It's fine. And he's looking frantically like a wild man around for his brother. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And he spots him and he drops into a three-point stance. And then he just runs at his brother. Feet flying, arms pumping, heart beating, lungs burning, sweat pouring. Takes him down in a bear hug and rolling around on the living room floor, showering him with his kisses and and with his tears and shouts of joy. He's finally home. The world is right again. Yeah, that's not what he does. It's not even close. He won't even go in. Jesus says in verse 28, he says, but he was angry and refused to go in, which in that culture would have been very shameful to the dad. Would have been humiliating before the community. So his father, a humble man, came out to him. And he entreated him. He he pleaded with him to join the feast, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, and yet you never gave me so much as a young goat, much less the fattened calf, that I might celebrate with my friends, which tells you what about older brother? Tells you he's just like younger brother. He just has a different strategy. He doesn't want to serve his dad or work with his dad or hang out with his dad or go fishing with his dad or have a relationship with his dad. He's not interested in his dad. He's interested in what his dad has. He's just going about it more subtly, more craftily. He's like, look, I'm not going to come right out and ask you for it. I'll just work and work and work and work and know that eventually it will all be mine. And that's the day that I'm looking for. And here's what proves how wicked I am in my heart toward you, my father. When my brother comes home and all you do is kill the fattened calf, oh man, I am furious. You gave him what I think only I deserve. And the dad said to him, verse 31, Son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But man, are you off on this? You're wrong about this. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad when your brother came home. For this, your brother, listen to the language, was dead. But now he is alive. He was lost. But now he's found. Guys, these stories and the book of 1 Kings and chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8 are not just stories about an ancient temple built by an ancient king of an ancient kingdom in an ancient city that was destroyed, I don't know, 2,400, 2,500 years ago. Just like every other chapter in the Bible, there are stories that point us specifically to Jesus, and he has everything to do with our lives.
And what is his message? It's that when you turn from your sin, you say, and toward him, and no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far away you've traveled, when you come home, you're welcomed like this. He wants you to know the embrace of the Father. What does that feel like? It feels like relief. Good grief, the journey is over. It feels like peace. Is there any stress there? I'm thinking no. It feels like joy. Oh, cleansing, forgiveness, life. It's an embrace that you melt into. It feels like home. It's everything you're looking for everywhere else. It's what the temple is about. And I say that because his name is Jesus. So here's what I hope this morning. I hope that you'll walk away wondering two things. One, what do I need to turn my back on? What do I need to repent of? Because again, it's Lent. Join the journey. What do I need to turn my back on that I might turn my heart finally and fully and completely toward Jesus and be welcomed home? Feel the embrace. And then secondly, who might I share this message with? Because it hasn't just been given to us for us. It's been given to us for everybody. It's remarkable. You could share this message with someone, literally, like through the app. You should begin today to write down names of people you can invite to Alpha because we're going to start it up right out of Easter. Who can I pray for? Who can I invite in? Who is out there looking for this? Because this can only be found through Jesus. In case you missed it, you are really precious to God. And hey, you know what? So are all the people around you. So let them know it. Love you guys. I'll be back next week, I hope. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your Savior. Lord, we go to the far country, having robbed you of all that you give. And yet, when we turn, we find you running toward us. Forget the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the running father. The one who comes in love. The one who embraces us. The one who is given the life of his son that he might have us as sons and daughters. The one into whose arms we melt. God, let us know that embrace Lord, Lord, write your law on our hearts and in the love that we have in return for your love for us. Oh, man, let us live for you and let us proclaim this message. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.